Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Good morning and welcome back to, um, to Morning Devotions and to Romans. Yesterday, the last couple of days, we've been looking at um, that relationship with God that we can enter through faith and defining the big words about that salvation. Today, he switches to the other side of the coin and he wants to have a look at, okay, so there is a way to be right with God and with life and with yourself. There's a way to be wrong. And, and here he starts to unpack it. And uh, I think this is going to be the first really interesting one for us all in Romans. It'll get us thinking a bit, I think, in a nice sort of a way. So chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, directed against all impiousness and wickedness of men who, in their wickedness, willfully suppress the truth that's struggling in their hearts. For what can be known about God is clear with them, for God has made it clear to them, because from the foundation of the world, it's always been possible to understand the invisible things by the created things. I mean, his invisible power and divinity, and things have been so ordered that they're left without defense, because although they knew God, they didn't glorify God. They didn't give him thanks, but they've involved themselves in futile speculations and their senseless mind was darkened. They alleged themselves to be wise, but they became fools and they've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the image of the likeness of mortal men, of winged creatures and of four-footed animals and creeping reptiles. Not happy. All right. Um, I love this thing about people who willfully suppress the truth that struggles in their hearts. You know, God is pouring his spirit out on all of us all the time. And the struggle for conscience, the struggle for morality, the struggle for spirituality, the struggle for the knowledge of God is going on in all of us. And Paul says there are some people who suppress that. And, you know, our mission is to encourage it, to stir each other up. There are some who suppress it and help each other suppress it. Paul says that's a very bad thing to do. Um, and it puts this whole thing again back on us. But I want us to get into this phrase, the wrath of God. It's a really important one to understand. It's sort of up there with you know, salvation and justification and, and you know, righteousness and so on. And I want to suggest to you this morning that to understand it is actually really quite simple. And it's very, very similar to what Jesus talked about in, you know, as a man sows, so shall he reap. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And I don't want to take away from the potential terror of it and the eternal consequences of it. But to understand it, um, for me anyway, makes it much more accessible as a concept and far more useful when I'm talking to people. And I can learn where to see it with the people that I, I live with. Now, Paul frequently uses this phrase, wrath. 
Now, the strange thing is, this is technical. Um, you've got to you know, read some good books to get this stuff. Although he speaks about the wrath of God, he never describes God as angry. And he never talks about God doing angry. He speaks of God's love and talks about God's loving action. He speaks about God's grace and God's gracious action. He speaks of God's fidelity and shows how God is faithful to people. He speaks of the wrath of God. He never speaks about God being angry or doing anger. So there's a real difference um, in the conception of wrath and the conception of love. Um, they, yeah, that, that's a really big difference. I'll just let that one hang and think about that. That's very powerful. Though. Now, further, Paul only speaks about the phrase, the wrath of God, three times. Here in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. And in both, in, all, in, in both those passages, he speaks, well, in all of them, really, he speaks about the wrath of God coming upon the children of disobedience, the, those who have suppressed truth, those who have done stuff to put themselves in that place. It's not that God decides, right, I'm going to have you. It's we make our decisions. And that leads to this wrath of God. Now, I'm going to paint a picture of what wrath might be that is surprisingly close to the popular conception of karma. Um, and I think his, his phrase, the wrath of God, is used infrequently, but it's really almost, he, he has to add to the idea of wrath in his writings to say, don't forget God is in this. Because what I'm about to paint is a picture of wrath more as a principle than an action of God. So when he speaks about wrath, very frequently, if you translate it literally, it is the wrath. It's, it's like a thing. It's like some principle running through the cosmos. Um, you know, you almost capitalize it, you know, capital T, capital W, the wrath, an impersonal force at work in the world. So Romans 3, literal translation, God who brings on people the wrath. Romans 5, he talks about us being saved from the wrath. Romans 12, he says, we should not take vengeance, but leave evildoers to the wrath. Um, and in Romans 13, he speaks about the wrath as a powerful motive to keep us obedient. And in Thessalonians, he says beautifully that Jesus has delivered us from the wrath. So this thing is there. Uh, we're actually delivered from it. Jesus sets us free from the wrath that is to come and the wrath that's in the world right now. Um, very strange. Speaks about the wrath a lot, but it's that very thing that Jesus saves us from. <laughs> so the wrath of God and Jesus saving us from the wrath of God. Also, I'm just going to leave hang right there because that goes to all sorts of really interesting places. So let's go back to the Old Testament prophets. Very often their message amounted to little more than if you're not obedient to God, the wrath of God will involve you in ruin and disaster. Uh, Ezekiel, the soul that sins shall die. Now, if we were to put that into modern terms, it might sound something more like this. There is a moral order in the world. The world is founded on some fairly 
immutable moral principles, spiritual principles, and anyone who ignores or acts in opposition to those principles sooner or later is going to find themselves in a world of pain. The wages of that sort of thing is death. So that's, that's how we would probably put the sorts of words the, the Old Testament prophets. Now, historians, um, some of them have made a very, very good point. One lesson comes through history. It repeats over and over and over again that somehow the world is built on moral foundations. In the long run, in the grand history and sweep of the thing, it goes well with good people. It goes poorly with wicked people. That goes for civilizations as much as for people. So this, I think, is getting awfully close to how we understand Jesus' words about sowing and reaping. God made the world in such a way that we break, we, we ignore or disobey the laws on which it is, is founded on our, at our peril. Somebody wisely once said, you can't break the law of God, but if you ignore it or disobey it, it will break you. That is the wrath. There are consequences built into the very nature of things that when we despise them, they bite us. Now, if we are left solely at the mercy of this, you know, rolling moral order, well, frankly, we're all dead. <laughs> that's, that's we're all lost sort of stuff. But Jesus stands between this created order of things, this natural order, and the wrath, the consequences of acting outside, going with the flow of that natural order. Jesus stands between that and saves us. So that the wrath, the natural consequence of stepping outside the will and purpose of God, the nature of things, Jesus breaks, stands between us and the consequence. Now, Paul says, and this is his big argument, this is writ large in the natural order. No one can plead ignorance of these things. Everyone can see that's true from the nature of the world around them. We look, we can see who God is, how God works, and the basis for the judgments of God on our actions. We know what that stuff is. It is written in our hearts. After all, we are made in the image of God. We carry that thing that struggles in our hearts, says Paul, and we suppress it. So you can look and you can see, even if you'd never heard of Jesus, you can know the way, basically. So Paul's argument is, if you break the laws, if you sin in that way, suffering, death, the wrath will follow. You break the law of agriculture, your harvest fails. You break the laws of architecture, your building collapses. You break the laws of an investment strategy, you lose money. You break the laws of good health, you get sick. Paul says, look, it's like that. Everything is like that. There's stuff that works. That includes spiritually and morally. No one has an excuse. We should be turning to God, all of us, with or without the knowledge of Jesus, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, help me to align myself with the world and the way it really is. Help me to be the best little element 
of the global system and the world that I can be. He goes another step. He says, what do people do? Instead of that sort of humility, they turn inwards on themselves. They suppress truth and they turn on themselves. They involve themselves in very, very foolish religion, in, in a self-aggrandizing, idolatrous thing. It's all about me. And he says, the definition of foolishness in this passage, I think a nice summary is, you, you live a self-centered life in a God-centered universe. That's always going to go wrong. That is just going to be six kinds of wrong before breakfast. And instead of looking to God, we look to ourselves. Purporting to be wise, we become fools. We're simply standing against the natural order of things. And I, I, I look at so many of doctrinaire atheists and I think, you can't see it, can you? You're so logical. You're so sensible. You're so rational. And you completely miss the point. It's on every day around you. You can't walk outside without seeing stuff that says, it ain't like that. There's more than just reason. Now, I'm not denying reason and science, but you know, there's more than that. There's a law, there's a pulse. And false religion is this sort of idolatry that says, my religion has to be about what works for me. So enough of that. Let's, uh, let's sum up. The wrath, a principle like sowing and reaping, a thing. It's just built into the order of things. The grace of God steps between us and the wrath. False religion is when I kick against the nature of things and try to make myself the center of the cosmos. It can't be done. The wrath will get us when we do that. The wrath is not stalking, looking for us. The wrath is just the consequences, and it does lead to death. It leads to torment. It leads to great horror. But it's as, as plain as the sun coming up tomorrow morning what it is. The redemptive love of God in Christ stands between us and the wrath. That's what gets us in a right relationship with God. Flowing with it, living with it, is what builds that right relationship. There you go. Told you it'd be fun. That's sort of interesting stuff, isn't it? It goes to all sorts of really interesting places. Let's pray. Father, um, we haven't spoke too long, so probably you need to pray short. Um, thank you, Lord, for creation. Thank you, God, that like the old song says, in the stars is handiwork I see. <laughs> Lord, thank you that just in the, the movements of day and night, the, the standard interactions of human people, regardless of, of culture, history, whatever, philosophy, Father, we see how things are in reality, just the way they are. Lord, thank you for this idea that the wrath is part of that. Thank you so much for the idea that we can be saved from the wrath. Lord, we will today meet people who are experiencing the wrath, people who it's gone wrong for, gloriously, horribly wrong for. I know I've got one or two on where people are walking in unbelievable pain. It will probably take government agencies to sort it out. Father, help me to see the wrath, know it, oppose it, and announce to it and to the people who are trapped in it that there is deliverance in Jesus. That deliverance is good for the time to come. It is effective even now. 
Make us ministers, Lord, who fight the wrath, who stand against it and deny its power by proclaiming a big salvation in Jesus. This in his name. Amen. Bless you, folks. We'll press on in the morning. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.